Hello people and welcome back to the podcast You're listening to Is A Recording with myself, Kyle Duffy A podcast for passions where I discuss all that I'm passionate about But it's mainly just movie and TV that I dig into on this podcast So if that interests you, make sure to follow along up on Spotify, Google Podcasts and Anchor FM I dive deep into the movies I love Movies I think you should be checking out, as well as TV shows that I have an affinity for. I give recommendations, reviews on here. I have guests on from time to time to discuss their passions in life as well. So if you enjoyed today's episode, you like this kind of content, make sure to follow along for future episodes on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, wherever you get your podcasts from. Make sure to give Is A Recording a bit of love. For this week's episode, I'll be joined by my good friend and regular contributor in the podcast, Ron O'Malley, where we'll be discussing video game and movie adaptations. We'll be focusing around the success of The Last of Us Season 1, which is adapted from the Ubisoft game franchise of the same name. So if you're a fan of The Last of Us, the game or the TV show, make sure to tune in for the full episode and also give it some love up on Spotify, Google Podcasts and Anchor FM. A warning for people who haven't seen the TV show yet, this segment will contain major spoilers for season one of The Last of Us. In our analysis, we go through major spoilers in each of the episodes we've watched so far. So consider this your spoiler warning and do with that what you will. If you have seen the TV show, I hope you enjoy our analysis and join me next week for the next episode. I'm joined now on the podcast by Ron O'Malley, who's been on the show many times before. Welcome, Ron. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Last of Us, the game and the hit show on HBO. Have you played the games? I have indeed. I've played both of them and I think they're excellent. I'm an, I've am i played both of them too and there's many thoughts I have on the second game. I think there's a lot of thoughts people have on the second game. If you know, you know, and if you don't, you will know. I think that the first game, flawless really in terms of the writing, the script, um, it reads like a movie it feels like a movie when you're playing it you're invested in the characters especially joel played by troy baker in the series of the games and obviously ashley johnson plays ellie as well i think the camaraderie they have on screen the chemistry between the two actors uh, is immense and what was your process going through the first game in terms of you know connecting with the characters because it's very hard i think for me personally anyway it was hard to connect with ellie straight away you love Joel, but I think, you know, connecting with Ellie, because she's almost like a surrogate daughter, it's very hard to see her the way you see Joel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, you know, from a, a video game perspective, Joel as a character would be much more familiar to gamers, yeah. you know, playing somebody who's violent and relatively aloof, uh, you know, and, and who's experienced tragedy. So in that regard... Uh, I also took to Joel quicker than Ellie. You know, in the beginning, you kind of think she's annoying. And I suppose that's probably a deliberate uh, writing uh, position by the, the, the production team because she is a child, you know, in, in a world that's very harsh. That's, we'll say, completely different to what we're brought up in. And how could could anybody of that tender age deal with it? You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot... 
of of things that they will witness and that they will have to do you know in, in terms of you know stealing violent acts that children in in the real world don't have to do thankfully yeah and i think uh, just to hone in on that for a minute i thought they used that opportunity to explore the story very well because like you said we have joel who's 20 years in this apocalyptic world he's done and seen everything at this stage and then you get a fresh pair of eyes on ellie who's going through these experiences for the first time and joel is almost overseeing her mental state and looking after her after she shoots her first person takes the first life of um i think someone is attacking joel and her first reaction is oh my god i shot the hell out of that guy didn't i and joel being the hard ass that he is and having his emotional walls up doesn't really thank ellie at all but throughout the show and throughout throughout the um video sorry the video game you see that joel eventually warms up to her you know especially the one mission where you have to play as ellie and look after joel after he gets impaled on a spike and really i think it's at that stage that i really learned to love ellie as a character you see that she is taking care of herself and she, you're able to play with her and feel like a badass the way you play with joel and like you said the production and the thought process behind the character writing didn't stop with joel they really did an all-around job making sure that all the characters felt real and you learn to love playing as ellie and she's a big part of the second game as well because that character keeps on growing and in the second game you almost see her go through the changes that you know were halted in the first game you know i think in the first game she's like maybe 14 13 in the second game she's 18 19 so a couple of years have passed so i think in those years she's in the settlement and she's kind of learning to okay i'm going through puberty i'm getting these experiences that i wasn't able to have when i was 13 or 14 because i was fighting for my life one big standout performance i think and one big standout scene in the first game was obviously the opening when sarah dies um joel's real daughter and the acting on display and that was immense absolutely and you can see how that event has shaped joel for the rest of his life Mm. and that every decision he makes from there on in uh is stained really by that moment and what it does is it shows you know how strong that bond is between parent and child and also how different people deal with loss and really looking at the acting because again like troy baker plays joel we have ashley johnson playing the very tenacious ellie and you have other actors and actresses playing um you know the likes of marlene sarah you have frank and bill and all these different actors on screen in the game but looking at the motion capture acting you know they all have to put on their suits and then their motion capture they have to act out these these scenes they can't just go in um to a recording booth and record their lines like you'd be able to do when the likes of recording your voice for the simpsons or family guy it's a very interactive experience and seeing the actors take place in that scene and the scene with sarah dying I think the emotion that needs to be on display for Troy Baker, I remember watching behind the scenes of 
that scene being shot and he said he put so much effort and so emotion so much emotional turmoil into that scene that they got it in one take and it wasn't until the end of shooting the first um game that producers came back and said we need to redo one scene and he asked what 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 one it was and when he was told that it was that scene he kind of was really tapped out at that stage and he actually said I don't think I have anything left to give and everything I did in that scene felt so disingenuous because I'd already poured my emotion into that one scene and I kind of let go of those feelings so tapping into that emotion again was so hard but um, looking at the game you wouldn't tell that anything was amiss really would you? Oh no 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 definitely not though I, I think from maybe the actor's point of view the feeling that he felt may not come across fully in a game as you said like their their emotion captured they have various different dots on them for infrared tracking you know it's it's something that their full emotions that are on display in person may not be on display in the game may not be captured in the same fashion and again what he feels he may feel an imposter in the scene but could be totally convincing to us from the outside but again i think it's a testament like to troy baker and his quality that he managed to deliver an absolutely complete performance one of the most if not the most complete performances in video games yeah and i mean the reality is is it's not just video games that are motion capture Mm. if you look at a lot of modern day films andy circus is one actor that i just kind of sticks with me in terms of motion capture brilliance really absolutely again josh brolin was motion captured for the avengers yeah. films uh i know bill nye was uh more capped for the pirates of the caribbean film he was in mm-hmm. there's and also star wars i think there's one actor i think he's an irish actor who was motion captured for was the bad guy in star wars oh yes yeah. uh I'm again i'm t- i don't watch star wars so i don't know the name of the actor or the actual character which is horrible yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, the Star Wars universe is fairly large, and like, yeah. I mean, there's a load of television shows now out. Um, so it could be one of those. Yeah, uh, I know Don Gleason was in uh, the Star Wars films, the latest trilogy, but I don't think he was motion captured. But he could have been, for all I know. But um, you know, it's not something that's exclusive to video games. Uh, you know, motion capture acting, and yeah. it's a huge skill, and it is transferable. You know, from the motion capture to the screen, but it's also uh, something that you could get a great actor from you know motion pictures and put them into this environment that they're not used to and you know they may not be as good mm. as somebody else who's uh, more experienced uh, in, in that industry yeah and i think i agree with you in the fact that troy baker knocked it out of the park one of my favorite motion capture scenes and performances and overall acting ability, you know, he also starred in the Uncharted series as Drake's brother Sam. And the emotion he brings to his performances is next to none. Going on from the game to the show, because there's a lot of comparisons to make in terms of acting ability, the choices they made with certain scenes, and overall likeness in terms of, do you like Pedro Pascal for this role? Do you like him as much as you enjoyed Troy Baker's performance in the motion capture and also the whole debacle around the casting of Ellie, because I know a lot of fans were upset 
with the process of getting Bella Ramsey in that role. I've only gone, I think, what episode am I on? I've lost track. I think the last episode I watched was with them escaping the city with the brothers Sam and Henry and the inevitable end to that. By the way, if you haven't seen The Last of Us, major spoilers here in this conversation. But yeah, just going into the show, what was your overall thoughts of the casting process? I mean, I, I think that the, the casting was very strong all around. Um, I know that there was a certain amount of disdain towards Bella Ramsey. I don't know how much of that is influenced by the fact that, you know, she has her own personal stances and, you know, obviously uh, she's come out as Mm non-binary, which uh, some people just, I mean, they don't agree with. And and as as a result of that, you know, their their view is going to be colored by that. But I like I think in terms of performance, she captured, you know, a lot of the essence of L.A., but at the same time bringing her own sort of unique approach to it. At times, maybe, you know, her version of it was a little bit overbearing. But, like, I think at the same time, when you take it in the context of, you know, a, a prepubescent girl in this post-apocalyptic world, and suddenly, you know, this massive value is thrust upon her that, you know, she's a saviour of humanity, that's a lot for a child to process. Mm. And, you know, I think that she got a very grounded approach to it um so i think overall like she did i think she did a really really good job you know and you know looking further like i think the casting of pedro pascal as joel again was i think that was a masterstroke like he was his performance i would say was the strongest you know and he really showed like his his range because you know we see joel you know, at times being like a violent husk. And then at other times, you know, he's opening up like, and I think to compare the games and the television show in terms of the characters, you know, I would say Joel, but he's more, I would say flawed, uh, you know, more damaged really, I think is a better word than he is in the games you know, that we can see that even though it's been 20 years that his daughter's death still haunts him in the show more so, I think, than in the game. In the game, it almost comes across like he's managed to, to bury that and uh, I suppose he, he's anesthetized himself to the world. Whereas in in the, the show, he comes across as, as more a man that, you know, hasn't been able to put that behind him and he's just living day to day, surviving more than anything else. I think so, and I agree with that because in the game, it's not on the edge of the performance of Troy Baker. It's it's not on the surface. You don't see it in every scene. And yes, he's standoffish when it comes to Ellie and he has his walls up, but you don't see that because you don't think it's because of the death of his daughter. It's it's always on the precipice, or it's always. Um, so, uh, because of something that he doesn't really agree with or it's because he doesn't trust Ellie or he doesn't know why he's bringing her from uh, this place to the next and doesn't really um, care about her at all. But I think the only scene where you really realise that he is truly still hung up and in turmoil over the death of his daughter is where he calls out Ellie and when they get to the settlement and says... You're on, um, you're on thin ice, and uh, you're not my daughter, and I'm not your father. 
and we don't need each other anymore. Whereas in the show, it's right on the sleeve of every performance and every scene that Pedro Pascal does. It's right there for you to see, and he doesn't hide it. And I think that was an important choice to make in the show because people who watch this show, not all of them are going to be game enthusiasts like uh, me and yourself. They're not going to have experience of playing the game and that emotional connection to the characters. So really, you needed to make Pedro Pascal's Joel a very flawed, real person. And I think they do that over the course of each episode, you know, looking at the fact that he really doesn't have any connections. He doesn't want to connect with anyone else because the one person that he loved is gone, his daughter, and also he doesn't know if his brother is alive from one episode to the next until he actually gets to Jackson, the settlement, and realizes that Tommy is there. And, you know, you have Anna Torv uh, playing Tessa, but or, sorry, Tess, in the game, and they're supposed to have some kind of relationship. They've been with each other for years, but you can tell it's out of necessity um, that they're together and not because they want to be. And as well as that, looking at the fact that he had this camaraderie with Bella Ramsey on set. They they got on very well together and they kind of struck up that relationship. And you can see that on screen they play off each other very well. So I think Bella Ramsey, just going to her for a minute, I think that her casting, although controversial at the time, I agree that she does a very good job of nailing in on the character. And in the game, you're more focused on Joel. I think that... You care more about Joel because it's kind of his mission to get her across the country and complete this mission. Whereas in the show, they made the right choice in giving Bella Ramsey's character as Ellie a bit more centre stage because it's her body that's on the line, it's her life that's on the line. And she is the antidote. She is she has this responsibility. So you get a more in-depth look at her mindset and her maturity through each episode and what that means for her character just going on to one or two other performances nico parker or nico parker um, as sarah miller again the first episode they gave her a bit more to do in the game you know you have one or two scenes with sarah and joel very nice heartwarming scenes but um in the in the movie or in the tv show they need to uh, give you a bit more background on how this virus came about uh what did you think of the build-up to that scene and that penultimate intro to the show and the apocalypse oh i I think it was really good like i think the they really played it very well to to get you into this world that's just about to unravel and you know you can see like the beginning of the episode um everything is is quite normal you know but obviously we have the knowledge of what's going to happen we know that the world is about to collapse that there's about to be you know an outbreak uh, that that's going to change everything and we can hear you know little things on the radio about you know uh, a public health outbreak in indonesia and of course this this is all i think very you know uh very for, for everybody alive now this is all very relevant um and very topical because we have had COVID-19 um which which did change the world fortunately it didn't lead to uh you know a zombie type apocalypse but it just showed people that these kinds of things are possible and just how quickly these things can get out of control 
and I I liked that they put a timeline on kind of how things unraveled and also like that we see how people can descend into chaos so quickly um and I I think that all of the performances in the first episode were really good because it's I think it's always a really fine line you know when you're doing just before the outbreak in these types of post-apocalyptic um you know films and television shows because obviously the actor knows that everything's about to you know to go to go down right mm. um but the characters don't and you have to play that ignorance uh to perfection to really convince people that you know this is a normal day and suddenly it's not and that's something i really enjoyed about the last of us that opening episode because it gets you into the world so quickly and gets you immersed in it and you know we can really you know connect with this like you know how would we react to this you know and that's one of the things i think that makes the last of us so powerful is that it it is relatable you know it's not one of these things that's totally out there i would agree with you on that and really looking at the first episode i had one measurement of quality that i wanted to be hit and really in the first episode the only scene i was thinking about was the scene near the end where he is shot by the guard and uh, by consequence loses his daughter in the line of fire really that's the only scene i wanted them to nail up until that i really enjoyed nico parker's performance as sarah i thought it was a good idea to give them more back give not the characters but give the audience a bit more background as to how this this virus came about because in the game you're kind of thrust into it straight away there's no explanation and most gamers won't want an explanation they, they don't need it they're there they're there for the graphics the gameplay the the script writing and the character acting as well but overall i think for tv show that's out to the general populace who won't know what the last of us is and you want to hit each demographic as much as you can so having more background on the characters and more screen time for the characters and as much info as possible in that open, opening episode it's almost like an um it's almost like an exposition scene in some ways but i thought the uh, the acting choices made on screen were very good again the scene where he loses his daughter doesn't measure up for me in my mind with the game but i think we were spoiled by perfection in terms of troy barker's uh, or troy baker's um, performance as joel in the motion capture scene um, and in most of the scenes in the last of us troy baker kind of spoiled us in terms of his quality but that, that's not knocking pedro pascal i think he's doing a great job and has done a great job as joel but i just didn't feel the uh, connection with their characters in the show as i did with the game yeah i i, I would agree and i think as well you know it was one of those things that obviously there's a lot going on and he wanted a different take clearly you know mm. maybe he didn't want to go for this kind of emotional outpouring like in the game and uh you know he was still very much so trying to save his own life and his brother's life as well mm. you know at that time even though he'd lost his daughter like and i think it was a very look it was a very very difficult scene to film i'm sure but i think as well measuring up to something that had already achieved near perfection it's going to be hard yeah it's going to be hard and that's not to say i didn't enjoy the scene and i didn't enjoy that first episode i absolutely did i just think you know i had a measuring stick a 
of quality that I just think it was never going to surpass. But when you look at the choices made, I think the emotions, he didn't want to pour it all into it because, again, there's so much more of an emotional journey that Joel goes on with Ellie and with other characters that he comes across. You know, um, the likes of Bill and Frank's story you had. You had Tessa's storyline as well, as well as being reunited with Tommy in uh, the settlement Jackson as well. And obviously the ending of the Last of Us series as well, which we won't spoil for anyone who's uh, planning on watching it or in the middle of it. But for all you gamers, you know how it ends. And um, unfortunately, if you haven't watched the rest of the show, you have to sit through it again. But just going on to Nick Offerman's performance, and I think it was the third episode mm. with Bill and Frank, I saw it described as it's the first 10 minutes of Up, but for 40 minutes. Um, which is very apt. Again, we're in the game, it's alluded to very heavily, mm. implied very heavily that Bill and Frank had a relationship. He refers to him as, that's my partner, and um, when they find um, his body in the house. Do you think that the choices made on screen in terms of the third episode, I know we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, you said it was a very good episode and you really enjoyed it. I know myself personally when I watched it, I did enjoy it, but I didn't, I just thought... In that situation, less is more. I just thought there was too much time spent on it. And really, at the start of it, I just thought, okay, well, Frank is obviously just hooking up a bill to get a place to stay. Mm. Um, even though the first thing he says is, I'm not sleeping with you for to get a roof under my head, but inevitably he does. Yeah. And I think that it just seemed like everything was just woven together very quickly. And to introduce Bill as this doomsday prepper character it's very accurate but he lets down his guard almost immediately um when frank comes into his house and you switch pace in the show so in that episode so quickly and i just thought it was almost a bit unearned that 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 part of the episode but what's your take on it i think like that episode the the point that they wanted to get home was you know not to give up on people and not to stop taking chances and like effectively you know bill writes a message to joel saying that Mm. you know and and not to close himself off to this world and i think like that from that point of view it tells a very powerful message that is you know very much so needed for the television show to progress but the other thing is that we also have to take into context is you're compressing, uh, you know, a roughly 20-hour video game storyline. Yeah. Um, where there's long parts of the game where effectively you're traversing areas and it's not necessarily progressing the story in a very significant manner. And you're looking to turn that into, you know, a nine-episode television show. And I think that that's difficult. And I think that, uh, you know, y- you need to have certain, you know, thematic devices that you can use to push this forward. And... The biggest criticism that I could throw at this episode is that it served as great exposition for building the world and showing us about, you know, Joel and Tess's operation, how they came to meet Frank and Bill and how, you know, those two work together. And like they are effectively the blueprint for Joel and Ellie in that regard, in that Joel was very much so like Bill, closed off to the world. And... You know, Bill, I suppose, the reason why he made that change of mind as, as a doomsday prepper is, you know, he took a chance. 
And I suppose if you think about it, I think in the show, he'd been three years on his own just surviving, um, effectively staying alive. And I mean, that that can't be very fulfilling. Like you can imagine if you lived in a world where you were completely alone um, with no other human interaction, it would drive you insane. And I think that in, in that moment, he realized it and that there was this opportunity for him, you know, to to be more stimulated. Yeah. So that's kind of what I think that they were going for in that episode. But I, I do think that in terms of a criticism, you know, you could say that it was tangential to Joel and Ellie. I think so. And, you know, when you look at, oh, by the way, like, Maybe you can just clear something up. When he meets Frank and he basically captures Frank and Frank is stuck in that hole, how long has Frank, or sorry, Bill been on his own in the town up until that point? Uh, three years. Maybe I missed that. I thought it was like literally a couple of days after everyone had left. Maybe I missed, because I know there's times when they put up on the screen, oh, three years later or one year later, or I think 20 years later or something like that. And maybe I missed that, and I, I and, and I think that's why I was maybe like off put by how quickly things moved. Mm. So okay, I can understand in that regard. Okay, it's been three years; you're on your own, and even the um, biggest doomsday prepper and the biggest loner in the world is going to have um, that social isolation that they're looking to fill that void. Um, so maybe that kind of uh, gives me less to complain about in terms of like how quickly things progressed with their relationship. But again, I just think it, it it I wanted to really love those two on screen and love um the interactions and um love the characters. Um because I, I, I agree with you that it is it, it's it's a pure exposition episode. Uh, because in the game we have one mission with Bill. Frank in, Frank is not in it at all, he's dead. And you have Bill almost be an exposition character, you know, to get Joel and Ellie from one place to another. Nick Offerman was an excellent choice. I love Nick Offerman, you know, from Parks and Rec. Um, his work on other shows, including, you know, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, even though it's a small role, and his work on Will and Grace as well. So really, love Nick Offerman, will never not love Nick Offerman. Looking at the interactions, it, it just made me hard, it made it hard for me to actually connect with them as a couple because... It just felt very forced to me and it felt very rushed. But considering your um, points, which are um, well uh, proved and well taken, again, I think you put it very aptly and very appropriately. This episode is meant to give you the interpretation of no matter how bad things get, you can't give up on people. And even the best of people who are looking to doomsday prep and looking to and are ready to live that life of isolation, always will gravitate towards people when they come to them. And, you know, in like you, you mentioned that note that he wrote to um, Joel, you know, he said, this world needs men like you and me who are willing to do the bad stuff. And I think, you know, Frank softened the character of Bill. And in that regard, Ellie softens Joel. Mm-hmm. And I think you see how... Tess softened Joel in the early days because you get an early kind of interpretation of Joel and Tess and especially Tess because Tess is a very hardened person when you are introed uh, to her character 
Whereas when you see her with Frank and Bill, she's almost like the soft one in the couple. Um, Joel is playing that hardened, the hardened man. He's hanging out with uh, Bill and he's um, saying very little to him uh, while also saying a lot. Whereas uh, Frank goes off with Tessa and has these conversations of like, oh, we should do this next time and that and almost planning the future down the line. Um, so I thought that was a very in-depth look at you know the characters before they become who they are uh, in the in the second episode. Really, I think there was a lot of hate around this episode as well, like the fact that it was focused on the LGBTQ community. But again, anyone who's played the games, you know it's not alluded to. It's almost certifiably accepted that Bill was gay because um, the emotion, he never shows any emotion in the game. And again, a very well done motion captured performance for the actor who played Bill. The only motion he shows is when they find Frank hanging from the ceiling. Um, so what was your take on the fact that there was a somewhat uh, kind of mixed response to this episode? I suppose, like, I mean, it wasn't entirely surprising when we look also at the response to Bella Ramsey's casting in the sense that there yeah. was a furore around her casting before a single episode had been aired. And I mean, it's not like she was some sort of rookie who'd never been on television before. Like she'd been in Game of Thrones, yeah. you know, she'd been on large shows, you know, uh, her being cast wasn't like anything that I would describe as being particularly out of the ordinary. Like, you know, that's where I think, uh, I think that a lot of the vitriol was probably generated by, you know, people who were just against this ideologically, you know, in mm. terms of this episode focusing on two gay characters but i mean at the end of the day like the fact they're gay is actually totally irrelevant to the point that they're trying to make of course it is yeah you know it's literally just like i like you said like you put it very well this episode is putting the message across to not give up on people and the whole idea of you know social isolation is not worth worth it If if you're able to grab on someone if you're able to be with someone be with them you know Oh yeah, absolutely. Like you know, and uh, I, I think like as as an episode, I think like this episode was, it it was I would say probably the best of the whole show, uh, in terms of the way it managed to craft a story in such a, a closed fashion. Like in the sense that the beginning of the episode, we're introduced to Bill, and at the end of the episode, his story from the beginning of the outbreak. To the end of his life had been covered had been chronicled and it was quite dense like in the sense that it covered his evolution from a loner you know uh, somebody who believes in the new world order you know a total conspiracy note yeah you know into somebody who was able to let other people in even though he he wasn't comfortable with it you know because we could see like when himself uh and frank uh were interacting with Joel and Tess. We could see that Frank was driving this. Yeah. You know, Frank wanted other people. He wanted he was to- he, he was demanding it. That was his only say. He wanted to make friends. He want he wanted to have his existence with Bill, but he wanted to do normal couple of things. Yeah. And that that whole scene where he says, We're gonna make friends and I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do up this shop. And he was like, Why? There's no one around. He goes, There is and we're gonna make friends. No, we're not, Frank. We don't have friends because there's no friends to be had. And that scene where he says, that moment where he says, 
Well, I've been talking to a nice woman over the radio, and Bill just freaks the fuck out. And I think it's also that scene where he goes, um, I'm sorry I'm not like you, and I think the government is all Nazis. The government is all Nazis. He goes, yeah, but they weren't always Nazis. Yeah. I just, they played very well off each other, and I thought the chemistry on screen between the two actors who played Bill and Frank, the chemistry was there, and that's kind of like what sucked me into it as well, because I think that... All the components were there to make a very good episode that kind of tugged at your heartstrings and set up, you know, the end of the episode very well when uh, Joel and Ellie, Ellie pop into that um, neighborhood and they go into the house. Even, you know, the fact that Bill uh, put that message in the um, note of saying, don't come up to the bedroom. The Bill before Frank wouldn't care who found him. Mm. And he's been softened in such a nice way by Frank's presence and relationship with Frank that really again like the last episode where not the last episode the last scene where they're together he takes the tablet with him and he says listen you were my reason to be and I think that was a very great scene a great way to end it because again I was kind of as such a big fan of the games I wanted everything to be pitch perfect aligned with it but i think for the show to succeed it couldn't be a carbon copy mm. there was certain not privileges but there were certain um choices they need to make and liberties they need to take you know we'll move on to um the episode with sam and henry there's a whole storyline around why they're trying to get out of the city why they're on the run and in the game you don't even know they're on the run there's no they're just two brothers trying to survive together and it's literally their whole storyline is well sam is a young kid and henry is the older brother he's just looking after him but in this episode in the show they're wanted or henry is wanted by the leader of the city that's been abandoned by the um what's the name of the group uh, it's Kathleen who's yeah. the leader. I don't know what the name of their group is. Well, what n- not their group, but what's the name of the police? Uh, well, the Fedra Fedra was yeah. in Fedra. charge of Kansas City, and yeah. they like rebelled yeah. and overthrew them. It's Fedra, yeah. So Kathleen, uh, played by I don't know the actress's name now, but she's in Yellow Jackets, and she was in Two and a Half Men. She's a very well, talented yeah. actress, and I thought she brought such good humanity to the role because she rules with an iron fist in this mob mentality of um, running the city but she has very real emotional reasons for running things and she lost her brother who was the leader of the group and therefore took over but she's hunting down Henry because Henry was one of the people who gave her brother up and in that regard you know in the game you have no reason to dislike Henry. You actually really love Henry and Sam and you're so happy when they come across, when Joel and Ellie come across them because it's two more characters to grab onto which you inevitably lose two missions later. But I think that the show gave Henry these flaws and I think this is something that showed the show does very well. It doesn't give you these great heroes in the apocalypse. Everyone has a flaw. A fatal flaw. And I think that's the most realistic thing they could have done. Because if you make all these characters super great and super likable. 
fans are going to be an uproar when someone eventually dies or is killed off. So you need to give them that human element. And I think the show did that very well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and it also served to be a cautionary tale because Kathleen was obsessed with vengeance. Yeah. And she ultimately got vengeance in a sort of contrived manner. She never experienced it herself, but the effect was still the same. But her vengeance drove her to chase Sam and Henry to the point that it destroyed her own community and that in search of this vengeance, that she ignored the very real threats to their lives. And I think that what this was showing like was we can have leaders in our world that are not putting the best interests of everybody at heart and they're making decisions based on their feelings and that sometimes it's better to to you know live and let live than it is to to go chasing after everybody because if we draw parallels to what was done like in terms of him ratting out her brother mm-hmm. uh, I mean at the end of the day this was a decision that if we look at it objectively we can understand why we would do it in fact if the shoe was on the other foot and Kathleen was in his position she would probably have made the very same decision yeah and I don't think it's that he's a bad guy but we can just see that he made a decision you know he was protecting his own family you know his brother uh, which is totally understandable And these were the consequences, you know, and that obviously sometimes, you know, when when you get into power, you need to make decisions and say, yes, you know, I don't agree with what you did. It was wrong. But at the same time, you know, your intentions weren't necessarily malicious. And I think that episode does a very good job of painting you this world where even good people can do bad things. It might be for reasons they feel are just, but you know when you when you hear Henry talk about the reason they're chasing him, he he starts by saying, "I followed a very good man, probably the best man I've ever known," but then Sam got sick, and the only thing I could do is look for this medicine. Fedra had it, and they wanted that good man, so I did the one thing I thought I'd never do is I gave up the man I admired most, and he knows that. Kathleen is just in her hatred for him and her desire to get payback and then you pan over to Kathleen's conversation with her second in command she's mourning the loss of her brother and I think it's she it's a scene where she's in her childhood bedroom and she's t- telling a story to her commander saying well when we were young Michael would shield me from these storms he would tell me that we were safe inside this room and he made things safe for me she goes through the emotional turmoil she had when michael was killed and she knows that she should forgive him but she just can't and she vocalizes that so i think you don't really hate her either you don't hate anything about anyone in this in this episode everyone again has very realistic reasons to hate each other and be after each other and um, which penultimately ends up in that final confrontation down that in that cul-de-sac by that abandoned house and then we get the outpour of the zombies that are underneath the um, city grounds and are eventually released and we get the bloater as well 
just looking at the prosthetics used, that bloater, the um, prosthetics used and the makeup used, so realistic. What did you think of that scene? Oh, I thought it was incredible. It's it's a shame we didn't get to see the bloater, you know, maybe up close and personal yeah. with Joel and Ellie, because that is something that, you know, from the games, yeah, it was you, a very strong part of it. I think, I, think, I think that episode, you're in the town that Bill is in, Mm-hmm. And you're in a gymnasium and you have to fight. That's the first kind of experience you have with a bloater and you have to kill him in this gymnasium. And that scene freaks you the fuck out the first time you play it. It's unbelievable. But I think this reveal of the bloater in the show, it's supposed to be this climactic moment and it is. But you get one or two kills with it. He kills the main commander who tries to get let Kathleen get away and he basically gets his head ripped off or ripped in half it all ends up being no good anyway because Kathleen is then ripped apart by basically a baby zombie like a like a child zombie and it's all for no good um i think that scene uh, there's plenty of great parts about i think it's a two-parter episode where they come across sam and henry and then they eventually they get out of the city and the downfall of sam and henry then um after getting out of the city but uh i think that that is probably the penultimate scene, the climactic scene that everyone was looking forward to watching the show. Yeah, absolutely. And like one thing I think that they managed to get across without really saying it was that like the bloater was something that nobody had ever encountered yeah. and lived to tell the tale. Nobody seemed to know that these existed. Like it's alluded to in the early episodes that clickers are almost a myth that, you know, Ellie mentioned them. I think in the the first or maybe second yeah. episode to to Joel and to Henry and Henry said, "Oh, you met a clicker, yeah. you survived the clicker." Well, listen, I think we're talking to the right people. So, um, because I think at that stage Henry is trying to convince Joel to get him safe passage out of the city, and Joel is saying, "We're not the people for that. We're not here for that. No way." And uh, it's not until he hears that they survived an encounter with a clicker that he. He's almost doubling down that you are the right people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But it does seem that in these, you know, gated communities like in Boston, that there are stories told amongst people, you Mm. know, and that they obviously know the runners, but they're not aware that the existence of clickers is real. And obviously we, we then are shown as the show progresses just how deadly they are. And I think that the the scene where the bloater is introduced, it just really, I think, uh, you know, brings home the point that the bloater is uh, an extremely formidable opponent that you would require serious, serious weaponry uh, to take down. And I think that that's going to be something that going into the second season that they will have to have an encounter up close to the bloater. I think so, and uh, like there is multiple, not episodes, multiple scenes and multiple kind of epilogues and missions that you go through in the second game that I think it's not a bloater, but there's one kind of huge zombie that's amalgamation of different zombies that Abby has to face. Oh, the Rat King, I think The Rat King, yeah, and that scene just put me through the ringer. I think I must have played it five times probably the most intense scene in the second game and there's plenty of intense scenes in the second game as well i think i've only seen one episode more than that i think in the the show so far i think i ended on 
the episode where they're in Jackson. Joel and Ellie's relationship seems that it's coming to an end. I think that Ellie is looking around and saying, well, they're surviving pretty well. Joel, you ain't shit. Like, mm. we, we've barely been making it through, and I think Joel is a bit hurt by that. And then that eventually ends up with them having that conversation in the room where Ellie is reviewing, you know, um, I think she's reading Sarah's journal and basically saying, is this, is this all they have to worry about? And they have that conversation where he says, listen, you're going to go on with Tommy now. He knows the territory better than I do. And Ellie gives him what for, basically saying, don't load me off on someone else because I'm only going to be more scared. Like, we've come this far. That scene, you could never really fuck that up because up until now, they've kind of built this bond on screen and you can see them both as the characters. They inhabit the characters so well. So that scene played very well for me. I really enjoyed it. So in that regard, it didn't let me down. Looking forward to season two because there's no doubt it's going to be season two. What would you like to see maybe explored more? What do you think could be overlooked and kind of minimized in terms of how they approach season two? Well, I've read that they are thinking about breaking season two. Uh, well, should I say it? breaking the Last of Us Part Two, the video game, into two seasons? Mm. and i think because there is a lot to cover there is quite a lot to cover yeah and it's even longer than the first game and in terms of story like you know i don't want to ruin it for anybody that hasn't played it but the last yeah there's multiple perspectives there's multiple perspectives in that game and it it's very dense in terms of storyline in terms of the open world as well you explore so much more of the apocalyptic usa than the first game ever does yeah, absolutely. It definitely takes you way further. And that's where I think that the second season, I think we'll see uh, them build upon more, I think, that time jump. Because I think there's a four-year time gap between the, the part one and part two games. And I have seen Neil Druckmann kind of allude to the fact that we might not just jump four years into the future and start it, you know, verbatim. Mm. that we may decide to take some liberties. And I think the fact that they took some liberties with the television show in the first season, now they did play it relatively safe. They still made some key changes and they were well received. And I think that that will empower them in the second season to go a little bit further because I think that there will be an appetite for them to build upon that gap. And I think that anyone who's played the second game, you know that so much shifts... There is the relationship dynamic between Joel and Ellie shifts entirely and you're kind of left with a um, a wanting and a bad taste in your mouth in terms of how things end with Joel and Ellie and their dynamic. So I think seeing the build up to that really matters with the show. And like you said, the responses from the audience members and from the viewers in terms of the liberties taken in the first season, will only encourage them to be bold with the second season. I think casting is just as important in the second season as it has been in the first. I think that they should continue to cast people who acted in the game, in the show. We've seen it in the first season. Ashley Johnson played Ellie's mother. We had the actor Troy Baker play one of the scouting crew as a part of David's camp in the first season as well. By the way, David's character, he's a creep in the game, but in the in the show, I haven't seen that episode yet, but 
I, I, from what I've seen, they jump it up a notch as well. And there's no subtlety to how creepy he is in the show. Um, mm-hmm. And there's no kind of... Which I don't really know if I'm going to like or not. Part of David's captivation in the game is you know he's not a good guy. You know that he's something sinister is going to happen with him and Ellie. But you don't know about his underlying issues with young girls and um, uh, his attraction to Ellie as well. So I think that really, um, the fact that they're going to play it very open and honest and um, not make you search for those meanings, I think maybe that's a bit too in your face. When I play the game, you don't realize that he has that attraction for Ellie until the the big encounter where he kills, where she kills him. And Joel comes in and he goes, oh, it's me, it's me, it's Joel. And then she she utters the words he was going to and then just starts crying and i think that theme was so powerful in the game and so well acted by ashley uh, johnson i hope watching that episode that i had the same kind of feelings as the time i played the game but yeah i think the casting of abby is essential and own and um all these different characters that you come across in season two hopefully it'll be a season that gamers can be proud of and look and say that okay they they only they didn't only nail the first game they're nailing the second game too um just ending with your overall rating for this show in terms of playing the game before both games how would you rate the first season of last of us uh i i think it's an excellent show it's it's probably the best thing on television this year so Mm. far and i i'd give it a solid eight out of ten yeah, I think that it's, you know, in terms of video game adaptations, there's not many that you can point to and say, hit the nail on the head. And even though there has been liberties taken and certain choices made to make it a bit different for uh, TV, I think that it's nailing um, the process. It's nailing a lot of things that the game gave us. And staying true to the creators of the game as well. You know, we had the producers of the game direct episodes and have their expertise on it as well so they're not going off and disregarding the people who made this game in ubisoft they're acknowledging the creative process that took place in ubisoft and valuing their input as well which is great to see i think you know it's probably one of the better video game adaptations in recent history i know we have we've had many failed adaptations you know we had mortal kombat movies you know, um, the Super Mario's brother movies in the nineties um, with um John Leguizamo and Bob Hoskins, and I think you know we were crying out for a great video game adaptation. I think we got it with The Last of Us. I think we're going to end the segment here. But Ronan, thanks a million for joining me on the podcast. Always appreciate it. Thank you very much, Carl. <laughs> It's always a pleasure to have Ronan on the podcast and I hope you did enjoy our conversation around the Last of Us TV show and game. 
Let me know if you've been loving the TV show so far, how you feel it measures and stacks up against the two games. If you've played them, let me know your thoughts up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. And let me know what you want to hear me talk about next. I have a few ideas in the pipeline for the podcast. I'm hoping to get back on a regular uploading schedule because I do enjoy podcasting. It's just finding the time to get it all to come together. But again, if you are a fan of this content, make sure to follow along with Is Recording up on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts to see what I have in store. Again, hope you all enjoyed and I'll see you next time.